I want to thank our amazing sponsor today, the Academy Therapy Wisdom. If you're a therapist, counselor, social worker, or in any helping profession, this is for you because this is specifically designed to elevate your practice. The Academy Therapy Wisdom is more than just an educational platform. It's a vibrant community. They offer an expansive range of trauma training courses, workshops, and seminars led by some of the most esteemed experts in our field. We're talking about instructors like Janina Fisher, who brings a wealth of knowledge on trauma, Frank Anderson on trauma and spirituality, Deirdre Fay, who specializes in attachment theory, Darren Young, an expert in multicultural counseling, and Julian Taylor, who dives deep into neurobiology and memory reconsolidation. But what sets the Academy of Therapy Wisdom apart is its commitment to practical, real-world application. You're not just absorbing theories. You're learning from real-world scenarios and case studies that you can directly apply in your practice. Plus, they have a growing selection of self-care programs just for you. And because you're a valued listener to this podcast, the Academy of Therapy Wisdom is offering a free gift of two teaching dialogues between Dr. Frank Anderson and Dr. Janina Fisher. So go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast or click the link in the show notes to discover what the Academy of Therapy Wisdom has in store for you. The Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment, or CADA, founded by the visionary Doreen Hills, is dedicated to providing innovative and compassionate treatment for those seeking profound healing. CADA's mission is clear, to offer driven, passionate, and cutting-edge therapeutic approaches that not only heal trauma, but also address the needs of the soul. They believe that true healing goes beyond symptom management and is about restoring wholeness. So whether you're an individual seeking therapy, a provider, a therapist looking for training, or a member of the community in need of support, CADA offers quality and affordable trainings tailored to your unique needs. To learn more, visit chtainc.org. That's chtainc.org. All right, today we have another episode from the archives with one of my incredible guests. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to help trauma therapists be their incredible selves, to be human, to be real, not just a clinician. I'm a big believer in who we are is more important than what we know. And this requires cultivating authenticity, genuineness, and vulnerability, and that requires intention. You can learn more about my courses and workshops by going to thetraumatherapistproject.com. That's thetraumatherapistproject.com. Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and I'm very excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. Karen Traceman. Karen, welcome, and are you ready to go? I am. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Dr. Traceman is a London-based, highly specialized clinical psychologist. She's worked in the NHS and children's services for several years and has also worked cross-culturally in both Africa and Asia with groups ranging from former child soldiers to survivors of the Rwandan genocide. Karen has extensive experience in the areas of trauma, 
parenting and attachment and works clinically using a range of therapeutic approaches with families, systems, and children in or on the edge of care unaccompanied by unaccompanied asylum-seeking young people and adopted children. She's a director of Safe Hands and Thinking Minds, and I'll have that linked up at the show notes page, as well as the author of the book, Working with Relational and Developmental Trauma in Children and Adolescents. Karen, welcome. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. All right. So tell um, our, our listeners a little bit about where you're from, where you're calling from, and then let's get going. Yeah, so um, I am currently sitting in my flat in central London um, in England. <laughs> can probably pick up the accent. Um, so yeah, from the other other side of the globe at the moment. <laughs> and, and are you from there? I am, yes. Okay. I am from London. Yeah, I was sort of brought up in lots of different parts of Africa. My parents are South African. Um, but yes, I was predominantly sort of brought up in London. Nice. So let's start out here as we do with uh, a quote, an excerpt, a sentence, whatever, something, Karen, to kind of set the tone for what uh, is about to uh, is about to come in this interview. What would you, what do you have for us? Yeah, sure. Um, there were so many different ones whirling around in my mind, but I guess one which I think encompasses a lot of the work I do is to say relational trauma requires relational repair. And I guess by that, um, what I really mean by it is I think, you know, the children that I work with and so many of us have worked with um, have experienced within the context of their relationships trauma, whether that's been relational poverty, whether that's been, you know, in in neglect, domestic violence, um, sexual abuse. So I think it's all about um, thinking about how can we keep relationships at the heart of what we do, whether that's that moment-to-moment interactions or that more um, therapeutic relationship. But I think it's really um, sort of true to how do we give children a different way of doing and being in relationships? You know, how can we create for them a second chance secure base, a second chance safe haven? And uh, sort of to quote my website, how do we keep them in safe hands and thinking minds? Yeah, I, uh, I love that quote. And, you know, we often talk about uh, that that specific type of trauma on this podcast, but I've never heard it put so succinctly kind of the relationship between the trauma and the treatment or care uh, mm-hmm. in, in those terms. And I love it. And you're just, you know, I, I read a snippet of your bio and your experience is um, really interesting, varied, and uh, pretty inspiring. Let's let's jump right in. How did you get into this field? Wow, um, goodness. I guess um, sort of personally, because I think we all uh, we don't come to this work by um, coincidence. We've all got sort of a story. So I think personally, sort of intergenerationally, trauma and survivorship's a real thread and, and script in my family. So my grandparents were survivors of the Holocaust. Um, my parents were raised in apartheid South Africa. Um, and my mum uh, has had for over 20 years uh, multiple sclerosis. So I think that sort of avenue of, of trauma and survivorship has been really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess mirroring and marrying to that a lot of my childhood and also pre and post qualifying as a psychologist I've spent loads of time in in Africa and Asia and so I think I've seen lots of um, human rights injustices lots of different areas like HIV survives the Rwandan genocide that sort of 
yeah, really made me love this sort of work and be quite dedicated. Um, and I guess sort of professionally, I guess I've been really lucky to work with some phenomenal, inspiring clients, but also have some amazing supervisors and colleagues. But um, throughout training, you know, we had lots of different placements, whether it was in learning disability or anxiety or youth offending services. And what I was really struck by was I felt that trauma was a common theme and sort of thread joining all of them so I guess that's where I sort of came around getting into that work um now, let me let, then, let me just interject so I mean your experience is certainly uh one thing but what was it about that experience that kind of propelled you into the field and, and why do you think um you were drawn to working with these with uh, traumatized kids and and so forth mm. I think um, so many different things. I think I felt like um, I wanted to be able to have an opportunity to intervene at an early stage because I'd seen different stages in the lifespan, whether that was in adult mental health services, forensic services, um, that I thought, goodness, I wish we could just go back to that sort of early parent-child relationship and really try and sort of bring attachment and trauma into that. I think within the work, it combines lots of the things I love from sort of create being able to work creatively, the mind-body link, um, um, kind of human rights elements, trauma elements. Um, so I think that really sort of drew me to the work as well. Um, and just thinking what a difference it can make um, when you sort of uh, train or educate societies and communities about trauma and attachment and how hopefully that can then change a child's trajectory. Was it was it a, kind of an a no-brainer for you to get into the field? I mean, do you feel that you had going into it a particular affinity for or proclivity for working with the, that uh, with with trauma? Absolutely, yeah. From really? a really, really young age, I wanted to work, um, but mainly from my experiences of, I suppose, being in Africa and my grandparents from, from the Holocaust and my parents in South Africa. Um, yeah, I always, from a very young age, I always thought I would specialise in working with uh, refugee and asylum-seeking people. Uh, the children in care um, sort of developed more because I had lots of placements in that area. But yeah, I, I went in to do my doctorate with the intention of working um, in trauma in some way. What was it or is it about you, do you think, that enables you or helps you do that type of work? That's a good question. Um, I think there is... Um, I, I hope that I have an ability to um, build and engage relationships and to see sort of people's inner child, I guess. And in many ways, I feel like to be able to do this work, you have to be able to build that relationship with lots of different people. So I feel that was something that I... I myself was held in very safe hands, thinking mm. mine's um, as a child and, and, and was very fortunate um, to have very enriched environments and, and very positive relational experiences with my parents. Um, and I think there was a sense of, of me wanting to sort of share and, and ground and give that. And, and um, 
I think that was a huge thing. Um, but also at heart, in many ways, I guess I, I'm sort of an artist and creative. And so I think there's something about being able to take some of the best and worst of human nature, but be able to sort of bring some of my creative ways of working with people um, to try and contribute to the field, I guess. Nice, nice. Appreciate that. So let's talk in talk about uh, kind of an early clinical era. I mean, obviously you've had a lot of experience in a, across an array of different settings. Share with our listeners, Karen, an early error and kind of how that impacted you, what you learned from it. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of on a more general, I'll, I, I can think of a really specific example, but I think on a general one, sort of went during my training and for probably a couple of years afterwards, I really didn't know very much at all about the impact of trauma and disrupted attachments on the body, on the sort of structure and function and architecture of the brain, on sensory experience. So I think just in general, my interpretations, my observations, my interventions were really based on... Um, talking um and sort of i excluded a lot of the more sensory body-based creative um things so i think that was sort of a more general big thing about sort of widening my my toolkit and, and getting more of that knowledge um but sort of a specific one that comes to mind that i always talk to my trainees about is um i had a, a young woman come into my therapy room during training um and she was smiling um but it's she reported to me that she was pregnant um and my instant response at that time was to say, oh, congratulations. And um, she then sort of had a startled look and, and said to me, I was raped. And I think in that moment, obviously, I felt horrific. Um, but absolutely in that moment, I had just let my own biases and lens and experience of pregnancy being a positive thing um, come across and say, you know, um, they took over. And I guess that was a really big learning experience for me and, and, a, and a scary and sad one at the same time. Um, but I guess it really homed in that point that we all learn in training, but it's different in the room about not making assumptions and, you know, taking that position of curiosity and thinking before you speak. Yeah. And I think even though that is a somewhat, uh, you know, extreme example in terms of, of, of rape, I think yeah. that maintaining that curiosity is, is huge. And I think that's such a great kind of nugget takeaway for our listeners. Um, my God. So what happened? I mean, did, were you, did you work with this individual over the course of a, a period of time? Were you able to smooth thing, things out in a sense? Yeah, thankfully. So I guess um, I was able to um, try and make use of, of that moment. So I think I, I mean, this is years ago, but I think I said something around, you know, I, I'm, I'm really sorry and I, I need to take ownership of my response. But I wonder if what just happened in the room is something that's been happening a lot in your life mm. and in um, society and in your day to day world. And what does that feel like and how can we think about that and make sense of it? So I sort of managed to rescue it slightly in that moment. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think that sounds like the, the perfect textbook, re, you know, recover in a sense. <laughs> I, I hope so. It didn't feel like it at the time, but yeah. I, I tried. But yeah, we actually worked together for, um, it was during a placement during the doctorate. So I think that was for a further sort of four or five months on a weekly basis. Um, and um, yeah, actually sort of did some really positive, um, positive work together. 
So let's talk about your your work, your site, uh, Safe Hands Thinking Minds, and yeah. that is uh, Safe Hands Thinking Minds, uh, all one word dot co dot uk. Again, I'll have this linked up in the show notes page at the traumatherapistpodcast dot com. So talk to us about this. Go. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I guess what it's really um, about is offering training, um, talking at conferences, workshops, um, consultation on areas around attachment, trauma, parenting, um, specialist groups such as unaccompanied asylum seeking young people or um, youth offending young people or children in care, we call it here in the UK, looked after children. Um, And I guess it sort of came about from um, so often I was going within my different jobs and doing training around you know, thinking about the impact of relational trauma for foster carers or talking to journalists about vicarious trauma. Um, And it just felt like being able to sort of spread that message of attachment and trauma, but doing sort of trainings in a way that were really interactive, that were using lots of video clips and metaphors and experiential exercises um, was sort of incredibly rewarding, but also having a really big ripple effect. So I guess I decided, um, in addition to my full-time job, um, to set up this organization that, you know, companies from four or five people through to several thousand people can tap into that and sort of um, both have some packages but also some tailor-made courses around trauma and attachment. So you, in addition to your full-time job, you started this. Yes. Wow. Now, what, <laughs> yeah, I mean, lot. this is such a huge undertaking. Again, I mean, mm. there, there seems to be this thread of what just, you have this, this uh, kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better expression, this kind of tenacity in in mm-hmm. in the way you approach, uh, and I mean that in the best way. I mean, to start this organization is huge. How did you just? How did you go about doing it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I guess um, it was really a bit of a a sort of word of mouth ripple effect. So. Um, I was sort of given a couple of opportunities um, by colleagues um, who had maybe worked with me in one job um, and they would ask me to come and talk to just a small group of, you know, 10, 15 foster carers, for example, about something. And then um, I was getting so much um, positive feedback, but also I was getting so much out of it. I was coming out of that day feeling so refueled, re-energized and just buzzing that I thought, my goodness, I want to do this more. And actually, I can sort of spread the message around attachment and trauma so much wider than having uh, an individual therapy session. Um, and then so I was trying to be very proactive in terms of um, going to conferences, going to workshops, using social media um, and lots of the things had to do voluntary or, or free. Um, started sort of um, writing lots of journals or papers or blogs. Um, and then just after that really started building up and, and sort of snowballing from there, I guess. And uh, the book, Working with Relational and Developmental Trauma in Children and Adolescents, when did that come about? How did that come about? 
Um, so that came about, I was actually in, in the States um, a few years ago at the Attached conference, which was a brilliant conference. And um, I, I ran sort of three different workshops. And when I came back to the UK, um, I had some interest from, from Routledge, the publishers, about um, whether I'd be interested in, in putting some of my experiences and, and training events into a book. Um, so I was incredibly uh, honoured and felt a bit um, overwhelmed and can I do this? It's a big undertaking, a bit of an imposter. Um, but actually, I have to say it was one of the, I'm actually working my second book wow, now. So congratulations. I guess that says, that's, thank you. I guess that says how much I um, loved it. It was incredibly, uh, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. The laptop was going to get thrown out the window <laughs> on many occasions. Um, but yeah, it was. It's. Um, I'm. I'm really sort of proud of it, and um, I really hope that again it can spread the message to wider audiences who can't get to a conference or can't afford um, to get an in-house training event. So, give us a, a kind of a nutshell, you know, if you will, synopsis of of the book. Yeah. Um, so in essence, it starts with sort of several chapters going on um, the impact of relational and developmental trauma on children's brains, on children's bodies, on their relationships, on their behaviours and on their emotions. And then I've got um, a chapter on sort of thinking on the other side of trauma. So the resilience and strengths and hope. Um, I've got a chapter on how to sort of assess from a trauma and attachment basis children. Um, then I've got a chapter that talks about a whole range of different therapeutic interventions, trauma and attachment based. And then it goes into chapters on specialist um, sort of sub client groups. So things like unaccompanied asylum seeking young people, um, attachment in the classroom, young offenders, young mothers, um, and also a couple of chapters on self-care, stress management, and working within a traumatized organization like social services. Um, And I guess it really, um, I've tried to do it. Obviously, it is an academic book for practitioners, but I've tried to really integrate lots of theory, but also lots of practical top tips, reflective exercises, um, metaphors, illustrations, case studies. So it sounds like it sounds like it'd be a really good book for uh, our listeners, in a sense. I hope so. Yes, yeah, they so- are certainly my intended audience. I tried to write it so that also, you know, social workers or teachers or even some parents or adopted parents, foster carers, there's something. But yeah, absolutely. The main people I wrote it for was um, trainee therapists or people in the trauma industry. I guess where it came from was when I was getting into this work, I literally used to read hundreds of books that sort of had so many different elements. So I wanted a book that was the book that I wish I would have had after my training. <laughs> nice, nice. Let's, I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask you and I really want to, I'm excited to get to uh, your kind of advice for, for early stage clinicians. But before we do that, talk, talk to us about why you keep doing this work. What drives you? What's your why for this work, Karen? I guess just similar to, to what I said before, just in terms of I think I have this huge passion about spreading the word of attachment and trauma, not just to individuals, but to families and societies and communities to make us as a society more trauma and attachment aware. And I think 
um, I've got this real sense that, you know, if we do that and sort of in create these more enriched environments, these more trauma and attachment sensitive and aware environments, I think that will have a huge ripple, epe- ripple effect on public health, mental health, our prison population. Uh, so I think that's a huge bit. Um, and I guess also for me, there's something about even though this work can be uh, very overwhelming, very triggering, very heavy, there's something also about the other side of being so struck by sort of the human spirit and survivorship and strength. And I think partly I like to soak that in. It gives me a real sort of faith in in human spirit. But also I really want to find a way to sort of honour and celebrate and build on, on people who have experienced that strengths and skills and, and what they can bring. Yeah. You talked about, um, you know, the kind of self-nourishment in a sense that oftentimes mm-hmm. a challenging aspect of this. Can you, how do you deal with that? And what was, uh, I'm imagining that there have been periods in your career, in your life where things have been pretty difficult uh, with regards to the work you've been doing. What was that like and how did you work through that? Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely had lots of different times, chunks, moments where um, my sort of self-care has has certainly narrowed or been crushed or been challenged. Um, And equally environments where I felt quite um, crushed or unsupported. Um, So there's definitely been a huge amount of variety um, and including sort of in Africa and places where I was really working as a lone clinician and didn't have that sort of network of support around me um so i think that was can be incredibly difficult um i guess loads of different things that i've done in terms of self-care and stress management i think um i do practice what i preach a lot of the time so you know with young people i make things like regulating sensory boxes or having a safe place pillow or doing relaxation exercises um and i do have all of those things myself um i think a huge thing for me is my support system. I feel like I've got a phenomenal personal support system, but also a really good professional system. And that's not just in my day-to-day work. That's been through Twitter, through LinkedIn, through going to conferences, um, arming myself with as much sort of knowledge as possible, but also just having me and my identity and not just having my career be my whole master identity. So, you know, making sure that I go on lots of holidays and travels and doing things that I love, like art and nurturing activities. Um, And also really trying to mark, celebrate and internalize some of the really positive experiences in the work sort of what drives me and holding those clients that I've really seen a difference or or seen work forward and just try to really sort of remind myself about why I do what I do and, and what keeps me going. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that's such a, uh, an inspiration for, for those of us who are listening. I mean, this, you, I love the way you talk about the, uh, the, what the, the kind of beautiful side of this work, watching our clients grow and improve and, and, and yet there's that other side to it that often comes along with it inevitably. But I think what I'm hearing you say, Karen, is that you seem to really appreciate and understand the the wholeness of this work. I mean, mm-hmm. when you started talking about the different things you do for 
self-care and it reminded me of one of my earliest interviews which was with um linda curran who Mm -hmm. is a a pretty well-known clinician here and she just listed off all these things that she really did to take care of herself and i think i'll speak for myself personally it's i find it really difficult to keep self-nourishment and self-care there it's Absolutely. so easy for it to, you know, there's so many dishes in the sink or the kids, whatever. Yeah, but, but. it is. It's so hard. And I think it can get neglected a huge amount, doesn't it? So you have to sort of uh, keep it at the forefront, but also, I guess, have those other people who can recognize it in you and, and remind you. And um, I always say to the foster carers or adoptive parents I work with, you know, you can't keep filling children's glasses up Um something or someone has to fill up your glass so that you've got enough to replenish theirs and Uh, keep on replenishing theirs. Nice. Nice. What is some, some bits of advice here for people just getting into this field for our listeners, a a lot of whom are, you know, early stage clinicians, maybe even therapists who maybe don't think they've worked with uh, clients who've experienced trauma and, you know, want to start getting into that education. What would you say to them? Um, wow, so many things. It's, um, I guess, yeah, just building from what we just said, how important self-care and stress management is. I'm sure that's something everyone says. But, you know, particularly thinking about your own triggers and your own emotional hotspots. And when working in traumatized organizations, just really thinking about how you are going to sustain and replenish and, and, and nourish yourself and, and the support systems around you. That feels really important. Um Also, I think sort of just trying to get as big a toolbox as you can. Um, So it's kind of what I was saying before about when I started, I wasn't really aware of of the body-based approaches, the sensory-based approaches, the creative-based approaches. And I think sort of having gone on lots of different trainings and speaking to lots of people and reading lots of books, um, it does help you to feel like you've got lots of different tools in your box. Um, doesn't, Doesn't give all the answers and doesn't mean there's times when you don't know what you're doing, but I think it certainly gives some sort of, of um, sense of support. Um, for someone, think, oh, go ahead. No, I, th- I just think I was, there's something about um, holding that position of curiosity, you know, and, and trying to um, hold on to always that the client is the expert of their experience as well. And that, you know, they're bringing a huge amount that you can learn from them. And it's a reciprocal relationship and, and that actually um, they are the expert of their own experience. I think that's a really important thing to hold true, that it's not being mindful of those power dynamics. It's not just us doing something to them. And that feels even more important in the context of trauma where so many children have felt out of control and powerless and helpless and hopeless, that there is a sense of um, providing um, mastery and also learning from them. In terms of uh, trauma education, trauma-informed interventions and so forth, what would you say to someone who's like, all right, there's so many books, so many workshops, so many conferences, where do I start? Do mm-hmm. I need to read or should I read just a, a, a wide variety? What about focusing? What about specializing? Talk to mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think everyone's sort of learning style and, and minds work differently. And some people love to be really niche and specialist in a particular area. And some people really like to have um, 
a more general area. Personally, I found it really helpful to um, read lots of different um, avenues about trauma and then home in onto something that particularly um, fit with my personality or my interests. So, for example, the more body-based and sensory and and art-based things. But also, I always find that... um, it becomes more alive when you're working with a client. And so I think I did a lot of that, that if I was working with a client who was a looked after child presenting with nightmares, that's where I would sort of home in so that it would really become a bit more alive. Nice. Nice. Okay. So once again, um, your site is safe hands and thinking minds that'll be linked up at the show notes page, as well as Karen's book, working with relational and developmental trauma in children and adolescents. Karen, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Um, lots of different ways. So I'm on Twitter. I'm under there as Dr. Karen Traceman. So I'm really active on Twitter. Um, I've also got a Facebook page, which is called Safe Hands and Thinking Minds. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Dr. Karen Traceman. Um, so yeah, any, any of those ways. And I'm really happy to sort of talk to people, learn from people, make connections. Um, I think I'm always keen to sort of expand my personal and professional support system as well. Okay. And in terms of a go-to book, what would you share? Uh, go, wow, goodness. Uh, you should, you should see my library. Um, <laughs> I guess anything by Bruce Perry, Peter Levine, Van der Kolk, um, I would hugely recommend, but I, I guess I'll, I'll sort of list just a few that maybe are less um, well known that I think have been really helpful. So one has been it's called Neurobiologically Informed Trauma Therapy with Children. It's by someone called Linda Chapman. Really powerful, informative book. Um, then there's The Child Survivor Healing Developmental Trauma by um, Joanna Silberg, which, again, is a brilliant book, particularly around disassociation, um, which feels really prevalent in this sort of client group. And then uh, Creative Interventions for Traumatized Children by the brilliant Kathy Malchoddy. Um, and I guess also um, anything by Pat Ogden, but particularly her sensory motor psychotherapy books. I think they're fantastic to think about more of the body and the sensory world. Awesome. I think that'll that'll get people going. It'll give them a good start. <laughs> All those books are awesome. I'll have them linked up. Um, Karen, it's been awesome. I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. And I just love what you're doing. I, I just think it's so inspiring. And um, I think the field is uh, lucky to have someone like you in it. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I echo that back to you. I just think this is an amazing forum to have. So really pleased to be part of it. Awesome. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Definitely. You too. Bye.